Expert Gold Radio Show, which shows you how to grow your business by leveraging your expertise. Now here's your host, Gihan Pereira, for this month's show. Welcome to the August 2012 episode of the Expert Gold Radio Show. I don't have a feature interview this month, but I do have a fabulous feature. It's an extended recording of a presentation made by my friend and colleague, Matt Church. Many people know Matt. He's one of Australia's leading conference speakers. He's also the founder of Thought Leaders Global. And in the Thought Leaders programs, he teaches professionals to find their unique thought leadership and then to use it commercially. In other words, to make money for their business or employer. Matt runs a fantastic program called the Million Dollar Expert Program, which I've attended. In fact, I've attended it three times. And it's so good that I'm going to Sydney later this year to attend it again because my business has grown since then and I find new ideas and new insights from it. Now, Matt recently presented a webinar about speakership, which is his word for the combination of speaking and leadership. It was an excellent webinar, and he's kindly given me permission to publish the recording here on Expert Goal Radio. Of course, it was a webinar, so it does have some visuals that you won't be able to see as you listen to it here. But Matt does do a pretty good job of explaining the visuals, so I think you'll get it pretty well. Let's join Matt now at the start of his presentation. Before we really, really start, um, I guess I want to talk about just a couple of things for you to consider um, almost as frames, if you like, before I even go through this program. The first one is just to explain when I use the word leadership, because I plan to use it a lot, and it's one of the two words that goes together to make up the word speakership. I'm talking not about the classic definition of what a leader is. In my mind, everybody leads all the time. And if you have trouble getting your head around that and you think that leadership is predominantly a positional idea, I'd like you just to think about going on a holiday, possibly with a four-year-old, and when it comes to night time and when it comes to what everybody ends up doing that day, there is no doubt the four-year-old, who's clearly not the positional leader, um, actually becomes the energetic leader. So I have a really strong belief that everybody leads all the time, and I believe that in the 21st century, this idea of decentralized leadership, where we empower people to leadership at all levels, is the key. And I think it's the key because it's what people are calling out for. If you think about just the classic Generation Y profile, um, they're calling out for the opportunity to be given the chance to have a crack. They don't want to wait 30 years for their chance to eventually get the kingies to the kingdom. Um, I've just come from a day talking to a room full of insurance brokers who've got major succession issues because a lot of them have been in the business for three or more decades and the young guns coming through are impatient for success. And the old guns who've taken three or four decades to build the businesses are a little resentful and resistant to handing it over. And I've got to say, that's just not the future of business. The future of business is to understand how everybody leads all the time. So when I talk about leadership, I'm not talking just about company leadership. I'm not even talking just about entrepreneurial leadership. I'm talking about the fact that everybody leads all the time. The next thing that I think is really important is to understand that leadership is best demonstrated in action. And I think you know, that leadership by walking around is actually management by walking around. Um, that leadership, in my opinion, and more so now than ever before, is about, it doesn't have to be loud, but it does have to be that you talk strategy into people. So the idea of leadership is something that is 
delivered nearly always on face-to-face, belly-to-belly, toe-to-toe communication. Now, if you want to have market leadership, it's going to be about webinars, it's going to be about seminars, and it's going to be about any way you can turn up face-to-face with people. If you want entrepreneurial leadership, it's about meeting customers, it's about meeting joint venture partners. So I think that as the world has gone high-tech, we've got to remember that technology is merely just a tool that facilitates the opportunity to go high-touch. So I believe really strongly in the live physical experience. For me, mainly because it shortens the sales cycle and it's one of the quickest ways to have a major financial difference in your game. So talk leadership into people. Realise that um, leadership is not a passive piece and it's not a silent job. It's a very vocal job. And then probably the third thing I just wanted to say at the outset is just to let everybody know that um, I reject mediocre ambitions for you. So I hold out for everybody that I talk to, everybody that I teach, and in every webinar, I just say good enough just isn't good enough, and that we've got to be not only focusing on continuous improvement, but I think we've got to be focusing on mastery. And when it comes to this idea of speakership, I think you've got to get exceptionally good at methodology. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily the key to commercial success. In other words, if you were trying to grow your speaking practice, um, focusing on mastery as a speaker wouldn't be the smartest thing to do. What you've actually got to do is focus on making sure your message is relevant, that it's thorough, that it's elegant, and that it's unique. And in the elegance, we get the opportunity to play around with method just a little bit. So just as some as my opening comments, I wanted to sort of repeat the fact that in my mind, everybody leads, and we've got to get this decentralized leadership right that leadership is fundamentally about talking ideas into people, not convincing people of your ideas, but talking your ideas around. And that you've got to become kind of obsessed about this. And I know, looking at the attendee list, there's a lot of fantastic people on the list who are great speakers in their own right. I'm really honoured that you're here and um, really excited to talk to you about the idea of speakership. When I think about speakership, there's a bunch of things going through my mind. But the first one, and I want to talk about three if I can, I want to talk about speakership as a marketing idea and a way of driving new business. And I think that if you could um, look at all the different ways that we grow business traditionally, I reckon these six ideas that I put forward represent them fairly well. So what you can look at on screen right now is from the bottom up, marketing, sales, relationships, referrals, recommendations, and being positioned or having a position in the marketplace. Basically, everything that's green and below the line is classic business building. If you were trying to grow a business, you would market, and that the role of the marketing is to attract um, either you know, pretty much new people to your ideas, but it doesn't necessarily create money. And so I would suggest that a business that doesn't market versus a business that does market, that the business that does marketing is going to be two times more likely to be successful. Or you could say that their cost of acquisition of client was half the cost of someone who didn't market. But obviously marketing is quite expensive. Sales, I think, is and you can see based on the scale I've presented here, three times more likely. So if we're doing some marketing and then we've got people that go out and sell, we know that selling actually brings in business. 
And for those that have been in the game for a while, we realise that, yeah, look, attracting new clients is great and building new business through sales is great. But with relationships, what we can generally do is more business with the same people. That's where we go vertical, we go horizontal, and we start to you know, extend the, you know, the dollar value of the client, blah, 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 blah. And I think that if you can do relationship business sales, then what you're ending up is maybe four times more likely than someone that doesn't. When a lot of people look at this uh, diagram, they often play an either-or game. They go, it's marketing or it's sales. It's sales as in transactional cold calling or it's relationships as in account management. And for me, it's never an either-or. It's an and-also proposition. So I market, I sell, and I build relationships. And I hope as a result a two times, three times, four times effect on my business. But everything that's below the line is fundamentally a push proposition. I've got to go out and push the relationship, push the sales and push the marketing. And I like that. But I also like to have pull strategies going. And for many people who are successful in many, many businesses, you'll often hear them say, I never do a day of marketing. I just simply look for referrals. And my whole business has been built on word of mouth. And I go, look, that's all well and good if you've got 20 or 30 years to become an overnight success. But if you're trying to get rapid growth or accelerate growth in a business, um, you have to get a little bit more intentional about your referrals. But there's no doubt, I reckon a referral is like six times more effective than someone that doesn't do anything. And as you can see, I've put it as, um, I've, I've jumped the maths where I've gone from single increment units to actually multiples of two. The distinction between a recommendation and a referral is worth noting. And for those who are going, didn't I sign up for a seminar on public speaking? I'm getting there. And I want to give you an example of why public speaking is probably one of the best sales and marketing strategies you've got on the planet. A recommendation is like you go to the doctor and the doctor doesn't say, you know what, you should go talk to that person. They actually say you should go get your bloods done from Douglas Hanley Moyer. Here is the pathology request on their letterhead, here is the address, the doctor circles it and says you need to get this done by Thursday so I can get your bloods back before our appointment next week. That's an action, it's almost like a prescriptive recommendation. A referral in my mind is really powerful but it's quite often passive. You know, oh you should go along to a Matt Church course, you know, that's a referral. A recommendation where someone says, I not only should you go along to a Matt Church course, here's the order form and it's on this date and I'd like to introduce you to Matt and come along. You can see that there's a whole different level of business when people come in recommendation over referral. So quite often when talking to new business owners who are trying to sort of get, or people who are new to a business that's been around for a while, I say that the person who's been in the game for 20 or 30 years has got these joint venture partnerships. They have got these distribution relationships that build recommendation. And what you've got to do is actively go out and build them. But what's the idea that trumps all of those? And I'm not saying it replaces all of them, it's just if you don't spend time on it, I reckon you're missing out on one of the greatest multiples for driving business. And I just want to remind everybody, I'm talking about speakership in three ways today, and one of them is that if you nail this, it becomes the best marketing strategy you've ever had, and it'll drive new business like you wouldn't believe. And that's what this diagram's about. If you could speak 
at target-rich environments, if you could go to trade shows, if you could go to conferences where people who could be your target client were, and you could deliver a positioning speech, a speech that positions you as the authority, as the go-to person on a particular topic, then you're using the power of speakership. You're speaking to get a competitive advantage and market leadership. Uh, now, a lot of people go, Matt, I'm not running a business, I'm running a practice, I'm just a business coach or I'm just a corporate trainer for hire. I go, man, if you could turn up to an HR conference, deliver a positioning speech that gave extraordinary value, you'd find that you'd get competitive advantage and you'd rise above uh, and you know the mass of competition that's out there because standing out in a competitive marketplace is a big challenge for nearly everybody. So I'd, I'd want after this webinar, if you were thinking, what are my primary actions? I'd like everybody to think about writing a speech that builds business for them. It positions them as the authority in their field. If you know anything about me, you know that thought leadership is my passion and, um, and definitely my professional focus. And I think speakership is one of the tools that bridges the idea of wanting to be a thought leader and actually becoming one. I think it's a very, very powerful tool. But it's just not just my opinion. I want to take you through to uh, a few examples of um, third parties that have talked about this. So RainToday.com, if you're a marketing and sales uh, individual in professional services firms like accountants and the like, then you'd understand RainToday.com is one of the major sources and independent groups for this. And they talk about the role of thought leadership. But thought leadership, which positions you and your company as an industry authority, a resource or a trusted advisor, is basically achieved in two really simple ways. One is that you publish information in the written form and the other is that you present information in the spoken form. And there of course are you know, digital and analog versions of that. So this webinar today, for example, is like a presentation to a bunch of people and obviously um, I want to give you extraordinary value and it's my hope that at some point in your future you'll come along to one of our public programs on speakership. If you've travelled um, overseas at any point, you'll realise that the Australian press is quite limited in its view. It can be a little bit localised and short-sighted. Uh, short it doesn't look much beyond Australia. And if that's the case, like you've been to Europe or something of the sort, you're looking for ways of trying to connect to global news. And The Economist is a fantastic magazine for that. Um, it does fairly in-depth interviews, and I'm sure everybody that's listening has heard of The Economist, possibly even picked it up, maybe even subscribes to it. They developed a division a number of years ago called the Economist Intelligence Unit, which is a really clever way to become a thought leader in a market. Basically, you analyse what's going on in a market and then present trends back to that market. And they've talked about 10 megatrends in business-to-business -business marketing in 2008. Just last year, they did an updated version of this, but very few of the statistics have changed. So they're saying that B2B marketers are turning to thought leadership marketing as a way to differentiate their organisation, their products or their services. B2B, if you haven't heard that phrase before, is about business to business. So if you're trying to sell an idea to someone else, they're saying thought leadership marketing is the key. So if thought leadership marketing is the name, and that's kind of like the noun, you need to have it, the verb, I reckon, is speakership understanding how to take your ideas and position them. You look here 
they drill down at the EIU and they say that how are you going to build new business over the next three to five years? 63% of the people they surveyed said we're going to position our company as a thought leader and they're going to do it to try and stand out from the competition. The thing I find interesting around this is if you say, well, exactly how are you going to position yourself as a thought leader? 43% of them said they're going to do some original research and 41% said they're going to do surveys and white papers, which is fantastic. But you can see also at the top of the tree, they're going to make sure that they turn up at meetings and conferences and present their original research and their thought leadership. And that was going to be 43% over telesales or cold, sort, you know, cold calling of 3% or even direct mail marketing of about 11 to 12% or even face-to-face -face marketing of 15%. So it's three to three times, you know, three to four times more effective to get up in front of a group of people and speak. Why? Well, I think it's because Whenever you do the traditional marketing, sales and relationships, you're in a convincing strategy where you're trying to say, buy me, buy me, buy me. But when you're above this line, either through referrals, recommendations or being positioned through you know, speaking at a conference, you actually got a conviction strategy. And the difference between trying to convince people and standing in your conviction around a particular idea is like chalk and cheese when it comes to driving new business. I mean, if a business coach you know, found a small business audience three times in a year and spoke in front of the different audiences three times with at least 100 people in the room, then that business coach's books would be full. So in my mind, you know, filling a business coach's world is as easy as three speeches a year. Now, you obviously got to craft a great speech. You've obviously got to deliver messages that turn people on. But I just want to point out again that one of the first roles for speakership is to use it as a marketing tool to drive new business. And when I work with um, you know, fast growth businesses and I'm trying to teach them these skills of why the principal should get out and speak, it's for this reason. I think it generates leads in one of the most um, effective and leveraged ways possible. The second idea, and this is not going to be new to people that have spent a lot of time in my world, is I think that if you get speakership right, it's one of the easiest ways to sell your thoughts. And for an independent consultant this time, I think speakership has got to be in your game plan. You're probably used to seeing this uh, model. I call it the mode model. And I created it to try and help myself break out of a bit of a commercial bind. Um, I was a very successful professional speaker in Australia and it was pretty much all I was. I'd written a book but I was predominantly speaking and I would be doing half a million or more speaking. But what I wasn't realising was the power of using speaking as a distribution channel for all of my other services. One, because I didn't have any other services and two, I just wanted to be a rock star speaker. If you look at the, the picture or the model in front of you, you could pretty much divide it into three horizontal rows. One made up of speaker author, they're what I call the tell modes. One made up of trainer mentor, they're what I call the show modes. And one made up of facilitator coach and they're what I call the ask modes. In my mind, you could rename them as well. You could say speaker author, they're the rock stars. Trainers and mentors, they're the gurus. And facilitators and coaches, they're the shrinks. And I use those 
three namings or those three labels a little bit tongue-in-cheek but I've also designed them to help you understand the shift in energy you need if you're going to be really really good at them so if you want to be really good as an author or a speaker and you want to be commercially successful you're going to think like a rock star and I'm tongue-in-cheek about it as well because you're going to be professionally famous you're not going to be notorious and you're not going to be able to trash hotel rooms but the best speakers that you'll ever see those that are either making money purely as a living or doing it just because they're asked to do it those that are more like rock stars you know when people turn up they are absolutely in awe of the presentation they're people that have really nailed speakership and it's not that they're in awe of the person it's that they're in awe of the message and the method and how both those things have been brought together I was sitting with Peter Cook he's a graduate of the million dollar expert program who also went on to become a mentor kind of like he, he liked it so much he bought the company so he liked it so much that he wanted to become someone that taught it and Peter often says that he thinks of speakership and authorship as the billboards that promote the rest of his practice so I'd like you to realize that speakership is a fantastic way to drive new business but also speakership is a revenue strategy for consultants but it's not only that for those that are in professional services firms for those that are in large-scale organizations speakership for me is the missing link between strategy and leadership too often organizations have a strategy but the leaders don't have the ability to deliver that strategy where people live what I mean by that is that they can deliver it into someone's predominant worldview or they can deliver it into somebody's um, business unit understanding and leaders who understand strategy in a boardroom level or a strategy retreat but who are unable to then translate that in a way that makes sense to individuals at all levels where they live are in my mind doing a major disservice to their business and quite often what they do is they change their strategy um, when they shouldn't what they should have done is change their ability to communicate strategy they say that their strategy is not working when in fact it was I kind of look at it this way my friend Michael Henderson um, who runs a business called cultures at work along with Scott Stein and I have been working on a program that we think is about how you build an enterprise that is a thought leading enterprise not how do you enterprise thought leadership which is how do you get the capability of thought leadership into individuals but rather what does it take for a brand to be a thought leader to, for a brand to be a recognized expert and traditionally business is about come up with a strategy uh, take some action towards that strategy measure if it's successful and if it is reinforce strategy and continue to take action and this can get inconsistent performance so one year you can do great off a strategy and the actions and the measurements you're taking but another year it might not work so people change their strategy and sometimes they've changed strategy too soon because the three things that you need to put in place to make sure that your strategic actions that you're measuring work is you've got to get three elements right and you can see this on the screen now you've got to have leaders worth following and they're the ones that are able to communicate strategy at all levels that's speakership you've got to have cultures worth belonging to and that is that what do we do here what are we known for here and that's the action beyond talk and Michael and his uh, partner Shah do some fantastic work in that area 
And then you've also got to get work worth doing. And if you get these three things going, it's like the magic trinity that brings strategy alive. And for me, and for this webinar today, this idea that you can use public speaking to move organisations, I think, is the missing link between everybody who talks strategy and everybody who executes it. And it's about developing behavioural flexibility. So just to recap, I reckon you can use this to get a fast growth business or an entrepreneurial business growing. It's a great way to acquire clients. I think public speaking and becoming a leader in the game is also one of the keys for consultants to make sure that they can fill their coaching businesses, their training businesses, um, their mentoring businesses, they can sell their books. And to me, it's the billboard that makes all of that happen. But equally, um, it's about large-scale organisations and how they become exceptional. So if speakership is the combination of two words, leadership and speaking, and it's the missing link between strategy and leadership, I think we should talk about the three roles of a leader. And I just want to remind you that in my worldview, everybody leads all the time. And so if everybody's leading all the time and we're decentralizing leadership, then I think we are, you know, these three roles of a leader are relevant to all of us. The first one is this. And I think it's worth asking yourself, when you speak to a room full of people, whether it's three in a cafe, whether it's 12 in a boardroom, or whether it's actually 250 in a ballroom, or, or 25,000 in a major convention centre, you are leading. And when you set up on stage, even if the CEO gives you the responsibility to speak, you've effectively taken the baton of leadership and you are, if not the positional leader, you're clearly the energetic leader or the leader of the moment. So the three things you've got to ask yourself is when, first of all, the first one's around fear or confidence, the second one around clarity or confusion, and the third one is around action and mobility. If we look at this first one, the whole idea of turn fear into confidence, when you finish speaking, are people more or less afraid? Now, when I teach this principle, a lot of people want to say, but isn't fear you know, and away from strategy one of the best ways to sell from the stage? Um, I don't think it is. And I, I know that I'm in the minority there and that a lot of people will use a sense of urgency, they will use a sense of scarcity um, whenever trying to pitch from the stage to get a whole bunch of people to move. I think I would rather, and this may just be a personal choice, I would rather inspire people into greatness instead of scare them away from mediocrity. So when you talk, are people more afraid or less afraid? And if you've nailed speakership, or at least my definition of it, then you're someone who's able to turn the fear down and turn the confidence up. Now, when you are selling from the stage, there's a fine line between giving people so much how when you're speaking on stage that they're confident they don't need you, as opposed to giving them enough why so they're confident you're the person that can help them get what they want. And that's a subtle distinction, speaking um, why versus how. But knowing how to do that on stage, I think, is a speakership skill. For me, I will not talk how until people understand why the how is important. And one of the easiest ways to measure that if you're in a commercial situation is when people buy, they've basically asked you to tell them how. The second role of a leader is to be able to create clarity from confusion. And I was thinking, and I was working today with a, a room full of executives, 
and trying to help them understand sort of three simple ways to step into speakership. I said, first of all, you've got to be able to join the dots, which is about pattern recognition. I said, the next thing you've got to be able to do is talk it up. You've got to be able to move from the concrete, specific detail that people tend to get into territory disputes on, and you've got to be able to step up into the big, overarching context. I've been banging on about this idea of context for over a decade, and yet every time, and it's even with graduates of the programs where I see them go out to speak, there's, there's always an opportunity for someone to be able to take their messages and not only organise them linearly from slide 1 to slide 20, from point 1 to point 20, but to also organise them vertically. And when you can deliver a vertical message, people are clear because they get the big picture. And in fact, it takes a lot of time to deliver a lot of linear content, but it takes almost no time at all to deliver a new view or a perspective. Now, if it's your first time tuning in, you, you know I can bang on about this for much longer than I just did. But if the second role of a leader is to take the confusion and replace it with clarity, then in my mind it's about moving from the concrete specific detail and being able to not, not ignore that, but actually build on that up to a big picture idea. I'm sure there's a million questions on that from new listeners. And um, for those that have been around, they're like, yeah, yeah, Matt, we get it, pink sheets, cha-cha-cha. The third role of a leader, and if you think about what you need to do when you speak, you've got to fill the room with confidence. You've got to make sure they're really certain and clear about what's next. And then the third thing is you've got to get them moving. Great speakership is about affecting the human condition when you speak. It's not about changing lives. It's not about make them laugh, make them cry. It's not about manipulating the room. But it is about activating something in the room. And I think it's really important to talk about speaking as an idea in relationship to, say, these five other modes. So as I flick them back up on screen for you, I would like you to imagine looking at this visual of the mode model. I'd like you to grab the red arrows and imagine you were Superman and just sort of straighten them out flat. So you'd have a straight line from left to right and it would go speaker on the left, trainer, facilitator, coach, mentor, author. So if everybody could just visualise that and if you're tuning in in audio only, you've got a horizontal line, uh, it's got three words on the left and three words on the right, just think of it as a tug of war, and then it goes speaker, trainer, facilitator, coach, mentor, author. Now, all things being equal, and they never ever are, but in a theoretical world, all things being equal, I've just organised these six modes from behaviour change or stim you know, from stimulation on the left, as in a speaker stimulates, through to behaviour change. A lot of people are surprised that I would put author as the fundamental piece for behaviour change. Every model is useful and every model is flawed. So if I tell you some of the assumptions that I'm building this on, um, you'll be able to understand how to make this useful. The first assumption, of course, is that all things being equal, and they aren't, hardly ever. But if all things were equal, um, I think it's fair to say that an indirect piece, like working with a group, like uh, being a member of an audience, is very different to being coached one-on-one, -on -one, very different to having a mentor. And if you were to pick up a book and you were to read a book, and I'm sure everybody's done this in their life at some point, you highlight every word, you dog ear it, you fold down the corners, then what that book becomes is a major life-changing device. For me, it was Michael Gerber's The E-Myth. 
I was opening a business that was very me-centric and I got the opportunity to build in systems and procedures and get my name off the door and be able to sell it in under 18 months for high six figures because I was um, because of one book. So if you ask me, did the book change my life? You bet. Changed my life commercially. I was able to um, punch above my weight um, with regards to marrying my beautiful wife because um, I was a bit younger and I hadn't achieved much. I was able to show some financial stability and all sorts of weird things. And, um, and as a result of that, that book changed my life. So there's no doubt that that book had a huge impact on my life. If I had gone and heard Michael speak, maybe it wouldn't have had the same impact, but it would have got me started on the journey. And this is my point about all things created equal. So if I hear you speak and then I come along to a workshop and then I participate in a facilitated group discussion, I then end up having some one-on-one -on -one coaching with you, um, possibly even get mentored by a couple of people who have a real specialty skill in what you're talking about, and then get to read your book, you'll get that my life will change. And for those that are offering a bundled end-to-end -end consulting solution, it's pretty much this. You turn up as a subject matter expert in an organisation and do all six things and charge, you know, 100,000, 250,000, 500,000 a year to do that. Just as an aside, this bundling and unbundling of these modes is the key to earning a million dollars a year and working less days. For a lot of people who've heard the million dollar expert proposition, they often go, one of the problems with your model, Matt, is that the minute you help people become successful, they then leave the network. Uh, well, the reality is they don't. Because once they achieve the financial level, what they've then got to learn next is how to reduce their days at work. So for those who are running a practice model, if you haven't gone to milliondollarexpertprogram.com, do yourself a favour and check it out. Download the ebook or the white paper called Sell Your Thoughts and you'll see some more information on this model. Obviously, for those that are interested, come along. I do a week-long program on Million Dollar Expert. And I've got a couple more in Australia this year. And I've got one in Santa Monica in September. If you're interested in coming to Los Angeles or if you're already in America and you want to be there, you might want to be part of that. My point being is that speaking, when you look at this line and you drag it down, is the starting point that often catalyzes people and motivates them towards action. For those of us who are consultants and who are selling our thoughts, that then starts a whole chain of events where people move through your product pipeline or your service mix and actually get increasing value that moves them from simple stimulation to behaviour change. And don't get me wrong, a fantastic speech delivered at the right moment in your life can completely change your life. Um, but the thing that the speaker has to remember is it had nothing to really to do with you. You just happen to be the last step in a process that's been in play in that person's life for a number of years. They read the book, they went to a course of one of your competitors or someone else, and then when they heard you speak, they went, ah, they got it. They attribute you with all of their glory and success. But the reality is they were in some end-to-end -end process, maybe of their own making, and maybe accidental and random. Here's my final piece. My final piece is to sort of give you a plan of attack for how to go about doing this. And I think these are primary leadership skills. If you wanted to draw this diagram, it might help your engagement. The first one is this. I think that um, 
I love to think about this whole idea of informing through content and inspiring through context, doing so in a way that's full spectrum, right? So from the concrete specific detail up to the abstract big picture, and also from the analytical left brain through to the emotional right brain. Now, I'm not a big fan of separating the two hemispheres as such, but what I am a big fan of is making sure that when you build a message that it has all four of these domains clearly articulated in them. And quite often when I'm working with conference organisers as a professional speaker or as a conference architect, I'm going to ask them what they want to achieve in any given 90 minutes, on any given day, and in the overall intent of the conference or program. I'll go, what's the purpose of your conference? Is it to inform the analytical? And they go, yes, yes, it's a room full of accountants. I go, okay, great. If we're informing new graduate accountants, then what we've really got to do is join the dots for them. We've got to connect a whole array of different bits of information in a way that makes sense to them. And if you're going to deliver a speech, then I suggest you have the ability to do all four of these domains. So what's joining the dots? Well, it's basically pattern recognition. It's basically environmental scanning and using those two things to deliver message. So when you deliver a presentation that says, check out this retail outlet in Hong Kong, and then have a look at this building that was created in New York. And then you say, check out what's happening in Ain Abu Dhabi. And you bring those three things together and say, all of those are, to me, indicative of X. You've joined the dots. So you scan your environment, you try to create a pattern, and you present that. And what you're able to do is you're able to then inform the left brain without getting buried in death by PowerPoint. And that's a really important how skill for speakership. There are, just to close that bottom left off, if you Google STEEP, S-T-E-E-P, you'll see that a lot of futurists use this as an environmental scanning technique. It's an acronym, not unlike SWOT, where S-W-O-T stands for a Strengths, Weaknesses, Opportunities and Threats Assessment. Well, STEEP is about what's going on in society, what's going on in technology, what's going on economically, what's going on environmentally, and what's going on politically that you might be able to join the dots from. And if you just looked in those five domains, you'd probably find enough case study or evidence, information if you like, that you can put together in a way that's analytical and makes sense. So bottom left, make sure you can join the dots for people. And if we're, while we're here, let's stay on the left side. A lot of people say, well, how do you inspire the skeptic? How do you inspire the cynic? How do you inspire the analytical left brain? It's just silly. You know, surely they just want more data. And, and that's the biggest mistake you'll make. Because to, to, to assume that accountants or engineers or anybody else that might be trained in the left brain hemisphere, first of all, to assume that that means they have a left brain need is flawed. But the other is to assume that you can't inspire them is completely wrong. So if you're going to nail speakership, you're going to be able to join the dots and connect. But you've also got to paint a picture of a compelling future. I love the statement. I was working with Tim uh, Longhurst not long ago, who's a fabulous futurist. And he quoted uh, a very established futurist. And I apologize, I can't reference the quote. But he said, the future is here, but it's just not evenly distributed. So when talking about the future in your speakership role, don't talk about it as um, 
uh, a Nostradamus might, predicting something that's going to happen 100 years out, particularly not to the analytical. You simply paint a picture of a future that's already here but possibly in another market um, or in another application. And this is not just about joining the dots to create a conclusion. It's actually about creating a picture for how their business might look. And I love to do this as possible paths. And I'd say to people, there's you know, at least three possible paths for your industry. And if I was speaking to an industry, we could go down this road, A, and it looks like this. We could go down this road, B, and it looks like this, or this road, C. And when you do this, possible futures, and you can paint a picture for how it might feel, what it might look like, how, it might, um, how you might think in that future, and you can bring it into the current day, and you can give people a real present experience to a future that's walking now. People will go, oh, that was so inspirational, particularly the analytical types. So we've got two of the four down and a couple of minutes left in the webinar. So I'm going to just jump to the bottom right and talk about how do you inform the emotional, the, uh, the people with a high sort of relationship need um, around IP. Well, I think what you've got to do is not do death by PowerPoint clearly and you don't need to kill them uh, softly with your story of drama and do therapy on stage. The two enemies of speakership, I think, are death by PowerPoint and therapy on stage. But you do need to show methodologies. You've got to share with them ways that have worked. When I turn up to a conference and um, there's no methodology in it, I go, geez, you're really missing how you're going to raise the capability of the new people who are really emotionally invested in your business but don't know exactly how. And they go, yeah, but it's a conference, Matt. It's not a skills workshop. I go, yeah, I get that. So at a conference, what you want to do is you want to get people who have succeeded in the game you want to get them on a stage and you want to interview them with how did that work for you? What's the best thing you've done this year? What's your biggest mistake? And you've seen this done with panels with varying levels of success. But methodology is about sharing the way. It's about taking case study and bringing it to life in some way. Which leads me then to the final domain. If you want to inspire the emotional, then what you've really got to do is find a way to bring messages to life, which takes me back to um, the Cool Hunting webinar material I presented uh, last month, which was around the four ways to stack value. And with the four ways to stack value, it's basically stack number one, make sure it's relevant. That's how you bring it to life. So if you've got some theoretical message and you haven't thought about who's who in the room, you can't be relevant. But if you want to bring it to life, you've not been going to make it relevant. You've also got to be really thorough. Um, when I think of Doug Stevenson from storytheatre.com, I think of his ability to bring things to life. He teaches people how to create story. I've been looking at some Australian businesses that do the same and from what I understand, there's a fabulous company down in Melbourne called Anecdote who help corporates bring messages alive by basically creating documentaries of key players um, in a business and bringing them to people through documentary form. Love that as an idea. Because what it's doing is, is bringing things to life. If I think of a tool of bringing something to life, Doug Stevenson animates accurately. So if he's telling you about getting into a taxi and out of a taxi, he will open the door, get in the correct side, turn and look at the driver, put on his seatbelt. And that skill of animating 
a narrative with accuracy is one of the ways you bring it to life. It's about allowing people to suspend disbelief and get carried away with your story. I don't know if you've ever watched a B-grade movie and in the mirror sometimes you see the sound recording artist with the boom mic who just got in shot and instead of spending time cutting it out on the editing floor, they were a cheap production, uh, a director that didn't know what they were doing and as a result the boom mic and the sound operator is still in the movie. If you've ever seen a movie like that, it immediately kills the movie because the story that you were hoping to immerse yourself in in the film disappears and cold hard reality comes crashing back. So is bringing it to life about telling stories? No, but it's one of the skills. So for me, speakership is about these four domains. Now I want to take it one step further. I want to drill down if I can into the eight roles. And I'm not going to spend any time on this webinar going through them in great detail and I hope you come along to one of our programs and get the opportunity to learn more about this. But if you look at the whole idea of painting a picture of the future, um, bringing stuff to life energetically, sharing the way by introducing methodology and joining the dots and creating connections, you've got four domains. And I've represented here on screen eight different capabilities I think you need to develop if you want to master speakership. And you know, they're interesting words. If we just look right over on the far right, you can see if I just pick up on where I've left off, you have to be a storyteller. And that's one of the greatest ways to engage the hearts and inspire and inform at the same time. We know that stories are like the Trojan horse of communication and learning. They get in behind gates of skepticism and cognitive resistance and they allow people to experience content in a way that's memorable and repeatable. Whenever we teach people to build you know, some sort of diagram that positions what you do in a way that others will value, we always want to add some narrative to it in the form of metaphor because that narrative is what makes your value proposition viral. It's what makes it portable. In the Cool Hunting webinar, I was talking about this idea of social object theory. If you weren't on that webinar last month, you might want to download it and listen to it. But you also might want to take up the suggestion I proposed last month, which was to get out and learn what social objects are because speakers understand the power of them and that's just one of the eight skills. Obviously, we've talked about building futures. We've talked about setting context. We've talked very little about how you activate autonomy, how you codify language. But the whole cool hunting webinar from last month was an example of language codifying. When you can create the language that people then use to explain everything at a conference or throughout a company, then you've really nailed speakership. Um, I've also got the Million Dollar Expert program happening a few times throughout the year for those that are interested. So if anybody was in the position where they were thinking they wanted to come and spend a week on how to learn, how to sell their thoughts, um, 50 to 200 days a year and earn anywhere from a couple of hundred to a million a year doing so. We'd love to help you figure out how to do that using one or two staff members and basically the ideas inside your head. So thanks everybody for taking the time. I'd love to hear from you to um, know that you were here and that you were listening. So why don't you drop me an email, let me know what you thought of the webinar, whether it was useful. If you've got any other questions, please do. Matt at mattchurch.com is the, probably the simplest email for you just to get in touch and I'd love to hear from you.
I hope you enjoyed the presentation and got some ideas that you can use immediately. As I mentioned earlier, the program that I'm going to in Sydney is called the Million Dollar Expert Program. I think it's the best business planning program in the world for experts. So if you're a speaker, trainer, a coach, a consultant, author, or other thought leader, I highly recommend it. Just go to milliondollarexpertprogram.com and sign up. And maybe I'll see you in Sydney. My book, Fast, Flat and Free, has been selling well, both in print and in ebook form. And some people have even suggested doing an audiobook version of it as well. And that's a great idea, so I plan to release that in the next couple of months. If you don't know what audiobooks are, or you haven't listened to them before, the concept's pretty easy. It's just like listening to a book rather than reading it. It's just like listening, like you're doing now. Some audiobooks are on CD, so you can listen in the car, and others are in MP3 format, so you can download them to your computer, phone or tablet. I'm going to do them in both formats. I'm going to include the introduction chapter of Fast, Flat and Free here. This will give you a sneak preview of what's coming up. It's also a reminder of how the internet has changed your business. So, Fast, Flat and Free. On a warm spring day in September 1988, I realised the internet would change the world. In 1988, very few people knew about the internet. Even now, many people don't even realise there was an internet in 1988. But there was, and it was a big part of my life. That year, I was one of 14 students studying for my honours degree in computer science at the University of Western Australia. And because we were in the computer science department, we did have access to things like the internet. Many of us at that time were interested in artificial intelligence, and I became fascinated with computer backgammon. The world's leading expert in computer backgammon was Dr. Hans Berliner. And as a university student, I did have access to some of Dr. Berliner's published papers, and one day I realised that I needed to know more about something that he'd written. There wasn't a Twitter or LinkedIn around at that time in 1988, but there were many discussion groups available, including one about computer backgammon. So I asked my question about Dr. Berliner's paper in one of those groups. And I still remember the reply I got from one of the group members along the lines of this. I'm not sure of the answer, but why don't you email Hans Berliner himself? His email address is, and he gave me the email address. Now, as a lowly undergraduate student, I'd never even thought of connecting directly with the great man, even if I had known his email address. And now here was somebody who was a complete stranger to me on the other side of the world, suggesting that that's what I do to get in touch. And at that moment, sitting at a computer terminal in the robotics laboratory in the computer science department of a university in the most remote city in the world, my world changed. It changed because I realised the world has changed. For the first time, I appreciated the awesome power of this worldwide network of computers that we call the internet. And more importantly, what it was going to mean for connecting people. This was 1988, but we still had the basic functions of the internet, including email, discussion groups and chat rooms. We didn't have Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Foursquare or Google, but we were doing social media. Of course, we didn't call it that at the time. Now, a few years later, the world changed again when Tim Berners-Lee proposed a system to connect pages of information in a web of links, which became known as the World Wide Web. And that's when the rest of the world discovered the internet. It soon turned commercial because businesses realized that they could use it for their marketing, for their distribution and for their support. Then, in the mid-2000s, it took another turn with the growth of what became known as Web 2.0. Web 2.0 was about people, ordinary people, putting their stuff on the internet. Suddenly, everybody was loading videos to YouTube, posting blogs about their dreary daily life, and connecting on MySpace, and of course, later on Facebook. And now, we've come full circle, right back to the days when I was first started using the internet. The technology has changed, but the same principles apply. It's still about participating in online communities. It's still about using the internet to learn, explore and discover. It's still about building an online reputation one step at a time. 
And it's still about people connecting with people. There's just one problem. Most businesses haven't realized it. They don't know the revolution has happened. They don't know the rules have changed. They don't know the way things worked in the 20th century are, well, so 20th century. So that's why they spend their entire online marketing budget on search engine optimization. That's why they use Twitter for a week and then give up because it seems like a waste of time. That's why they hide their phone numbers and email addresses on their website and still expect website visitors to do business with them. This program is for you if you know the internet has changed your business, but you don't know exactly what's changed, and you don't know what you need to change. This program is for small and medium-sized businesses rather than larger organizations. The internet lets smaller operators not only compete on an equal basis with larger businesses, but sometimes to compete even in better ways. Also, today's internet culture smiles very kindly on you if your business relies on your expertise. For example, if you're a professional speaker, trainer, coach, consultant, a lawyer, an accountant, a mortgage broker, an author, or some other form of information expert. If you're not in those categories, it just means you have to work a little bit harder, and we'll talk about that as we go through this program. So here's what I know about the internet in your business. Since 1997, I've been working with business owners and entrepreneurs to help them build their online presence and leverage their expertise online. Through all the changes the internet's been through, one thing has remained the same. It's always been about people connecting with people. So when you're using any internet technology, remember, people first, technology second. If you get that priority right, it'll be so much easier for you to integrate and understand new technology and make the most of the technology you have now. But three things have changed. The world has become fast, flat, and free. So first, if it's not fast, we're furious. The world's clearly faster than it's ever been before. We want instant downloads of books and music. We demand immediate responses to tweets and Facebook updates. And we expect, and get upset when we don't get, live chats on websites, fast turnaround to email queries, humans on the end of a phone line. We buy instant coffee, we cook in microwave ovens, and we heat up instant coffee in microwave ovens. In the early 1980s, FedEx built its business around the promise of absolutely, positively overnight. For today's consumer, that's painfully slow. Now, some of this, of course, is due to the amazing advances in technology. But the other major trend is the explosive growth of mobile technologies. We can access the internet from smaller and more portable devices, and this mobility makes us more impatient. It's no longer good enough to sit at home and send an email to an online retailer instead of visiting a physical store. That is a big step, but that's not enough now. Now we can scan a product's barcode in a store to check its price in other stores. We can ask our Twitter followers for their opinion of a restaurant as we're walking by it. And we can upload party photographs to Facebook while we're at the party itself. Our iPhone can even identify a song by listening to it for a few seconds. The second thing is, the world is flat. That's the title of Thomas Friedman's book about the way that outsourcing has changed our lives. He writes about the burgeoning middle class, especially in fast developing countries like China, India and Brazil, who are educated, motivated and upwardly mobile. Now they not only have access to a vision of what life is like in rich Western nations, they can easily attain that lifestyle locally by offering their services to the same rich Western nations. This shift to a flatter world is good news for those people in those upwardly mobile middle classes. It's also good news for those of us who understand what's happened, but it's not such good news for the many businesses that don't get it. And this isn't limited to the divide between developing and developed nations either. The flatter world is not just about favorable exchange rates. It happens even within our own countries, with online retailers starting to make a dent in large bricks and mortar retail sales and profits. The third thing is, we expect it free. And that's the third big change. Customers nowadays expect to be able to get so much free, or almost free. 
And this incredible shrinking price tag is not just a consequence of our flatter world, although that's part of it, it's also due to two other things. The first is that in today's internet, passionate amateurs can share their expertise with the world, and many of them do it for nothing. So you see amateur photographers publishing world-class photos to Flickr. The most popular YouTube videos are usually uploaded by amateurs, and holiday travellers sometimes write far better travel articles than professional writers. So however good your business model, it's pretty hard to succeed when you're competing with somebody who's doing the same thing for love instead of money. And because they are doing it for love, they drive down the cost for everybody. Now that alone would exert significant downward pressure on prices, and it does, but there's another reason as well. The different cost structure for business in the digital world. When an online business sells an electronic product, the cost of production is zero. It's not low, it's not insignificant, it's not negligible, it's zero. Nothing, nil, zilch, and that changes everything. For example, at one of the fastest growing email marketing companies, MailChimp.com, if your mailing list has fewer than 2,000 names, the service is entirely free. Now, many small businesses will never grow beyond 2,000, so they get to use MailChimp free forever. So why would MailChimp offer such a great service? Because they can. It costs them nothing to do that. They've already put the infrastructure in place and everything's automated. So they might as well start the relationship. And even if their customer never upgrades to the paid version, it hasn't cost them anything. This is so different from traditional businesses. Even those who do offer some sort of free sample, there's a small cost associated with that. It might be low, but it's still a cost. Okay, so that's the bad news. If you turn a blind eye to the faster, flatter and freer world, you'll struggle. But there is good news, and the good news is that you can make this work for you rather than against you by embracing it and differentiating yourself in it. So the rest of this program is all about how to do that. The next section gives you an overview of how you need to change your marketing strategy and the nine key principles you need to adopt. Facebook, Google and Apple have changed the way the world works. Most business owners don't know the rules have changed. Get Gihan's book, Fast, Flat and Free, from fastflatandfree.com and learn how to make the internet work for you. I run a members-only webinar for the eGurus community every month. This month's webinar coming up is about online courses. The eGurus community is my private membership site for thought leaders, infopreneurs, and business professionals. So members of the community pay $50 a month, and they get access to me and many of my resources. In addition to that monthly webinar, we also have two mastermind groups this month. One's a continuing mastermind group about authorship, and there's a new one starting about internet marketing. So if you're interested in either of those topics, and you're a member, then you can join us in those groups. You can sign up for the webinar and the mastermind groups in the eGurus community. You can also watch the recording of last month's webinar, which was about advanced webinar techniques. Are you a speaker, trainer, coach, consultant or thought leader? If you'd like to use the internet to get more business or deliver your material, join the eGurus community. Find out more and sign up at eGurus.info. So that's it for the August 2012 Expert Goal Radio Show. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something that you can use in your business. Thanks again to the beautiful Sharon Kerwood for her help with the voiceovers. Look forward to having you join us again in September. We'll be talking about LinkedIn and more about building your online reputation. Have a great month. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Expert Gold Radio Show. If you'd like to subscribe to the show, read the show notes, or leave your comments, visit expertgoldradio.com. And remember, great minds don't think alike.